Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. I guess this is sort of our holiday edition. And uh, I'm not sure anything is more seasonal during the holiday season than health care, because health care goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and does not represent uh, uh, the opportunity to take time off for its workers. Uh, someone has to be there to provide health. And so I thought it was a good opportunity to have Steve Lawler with us. Steve is the president and CEO of the North Carolina Healthcare Association, formerly called the North Carolina Hospital Association. So, Steve, welcome to the program and uh, season's greetings. Hey, thank you. What, what a pleasure it is to be here. And, uh, you know, happy holidays to uh, you and uh, all your listeners. Well, you know, we were talking before the program started about the fact that uh, hospitals are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And and just like everyone else, uh, folks like to have some time off during the holiday season. So I guess this presents some really interesting personnel situations for the hospitals across uh, the uh, the state. But uh, I also suspect that the workers all know what they're getting into when they decide to become healthcare workers. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, I, I'm always uh, just so humbled and blown away by the kind of people that get into healthcare. These are people who believe that their calling is is taking care of folks. And, you know, they, you know, feel as if it's a privilege to, you know, to show up and make a difference in patients and families' lives. I mean, it is a, a challenge at times, especially today when we've got you know, such a strain on workforce um, to put together those holiday schedules. And, uh, you know, one of the, the the neat things that happens as part of that scheduling is that, um, you know, people do their part. They take turns. They, uh, you know, they sign up to work one holiday and give somebody a, a break the next. And, uh, you know, I, you know, recall some of my fondest time as a, you know, hospital president was going into the hospital during those days that uh, were holidays where we were still extraordinarily busy like we are today. I mean, hospitals are full with uh, tridemic and just uh, seasonal illness. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd go around and I'd ask the leadership team to do the same, just make rounds and thank people or or serve a meal or, uh, you know, serve, uh, you know, cupcakes on the units. and. Uh, um, you know, we, and, and, you know, I think, as I said before, the people that work in healthcare, we're just fortunate that, you know, we've got just committed and dedicated people that um, really want to make a difference in people's lives. And that's, you know, that it, it's great to be part of a field where no matter how complicated and crazy it may be, that that's our sole purpose is to help others. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And I think, as you said, that it, actually it's a, it can be a rewarding experience as well as, a, I guess, a, a, a task that uh, maybe they would choose to have happen some other way. But uh, I'm sure that when they finish their, their rounds or their duties that day, they know they've served uh, uh, others and that, that has to have a good feeling for doing that. Uh, well, you know, it, it, and of course, uh, I guess there is a slight break during hospitals for elective surgery and as most people would, I, I suspect, put off of any form of elective sur surgery or uh, procedures off uh, till the holiday well, season's over. Yeah, other than it, that, I guess, 
I was, I was going to say, it's interesting that this time of year when people have met their deductibles, um, in many cases, we see a bump upward in elective procedures because, you know, people have met their deductibles and their, their out-of-pocket share is a little less. I hadn't thought about that, but I guess that is the case. Well, let's talk a little bit about things that are in the news these days. And of course, Medicaid expansion in North Carolina is very much in the news and is being considered. Uh, we had uh, 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 Bill Berger on the program last week, and of course, he explained how he has come to be an advocate for Medicaid expansion, where he uh, originally started out as being opposed to it, but he is now championing the cause. Why don't you explain uh, what this will do for the hospitals in North Carolina and how this changes the, uh, uh, I guess, the, uh, the the operation of hospitals? Sure. Well, first, I'd say that, you know, we're, we're really thankful for, you know, Senator Berger and, and Speaker Moore for their leadership this past year in passing Medicaid expansion in both the House and the Senate. So that's a big step for North Carolina. And, you know, we're optimistic going into 2023 that, you know, we're going to be able to uh, to reach a solution to get this across the finish line. Um, you know, North Carolina is still one of a few states, most of them are southeast states, uh, that have not expanded. And, and what it means for North Carolina and North Carolina hospitals is, you know, first and foremost, you know, we are able to provide uh, healthcare coverage to 600,000 people that don't have coverage right now. Um, and in many cases, these individuals are getting care. Um, they're just using the emergency department or, you know, other places that are not optimal as their destination for care. So I think first and foremost, it means that, you know, 600,000 of our friends and neighbors and farmer fishermen at all, uh, veterans, um, have access to care. So I think, uh, and coverage, I think that's, that's a, a big thing. For, for hospitals, it means that for those people that we currently care for now, that, you know, there's some sort of reimbursement because they're covered under Medicaid um, for those services. You know, right now, those people are getting care and it's either moving into charity care or, or bad debt. Um, so for hospitals, it does mean that one, um, they can work with people in their community to access care at the right time at the right place because they have coverage. So coverage doesn't become a, a barrier to accessing care. And, and I think that's a good thing that'll help us make North Carolina healthier. The other piece is it creates, uh, you know, additional financial support, you know, especially for rural areas, which have a tendency to have a greater number of Medicare and Medicaid patients. Um, it's going to help them uh, provide some additional revenue um, for those newly covered patients. So, and, and finally, I mean, if you think about being a, and I grew up in North Carolina, if you think about being a taxpayer in North Carolina, um, since the Affordable Care Act came out and states were allowed to expand Medicaid, our tax dollars were going to help other states support Medicaid expansion. And now by expanding Medicaid, we, we can invest in ourselves versus other people's programs. So I think it has like, you know, a triple benefit. One, it provides coverage to people who don't have coverage and they can access care at the right place at the right location, provide some additional financial support for hospitals, especially small community hospitals. 
And then it's just a responsible thing to do is for the state um, because it allows the taxpayers to apply their dollars in North Carolina and not outside the state. Steve, what uh, do you have a total dollar figure that will be coming into the state from the federal government that is now not coming in? Yeah. So I think, yeah. So if we look at what was be trying to be passed with uh, Medicaid expansion and then something that we call the health care access and stabilization program, which is drawing down some additional federal dollars um, uh, from the Medicaid program for hospitals. I mean, the, 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 the total benefit to North Carolina was close to $8 billion a year. That's a that's a that's a big chunk change. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew, you know I grew up in eastern North Carolina and went to Pitt County Schools, and we never we never talked about eight billion. We we couldn't count on our fingers to get there. Oh, well, that you know sometimes the dollar figures get so hard uh, so large that it is hard for uh, all of us to imagine well, uh, the think, impact it will be. But that uh, those are dollars that will be coming into the state uh, from, and as you said, we have been paying our part of supporting this same program in other states. So it's a, uh, it is a uh, big change to the North Carolina budget. Uh, and the, uh, 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 Phil Berger and Tim Moore have concluded that this is basically a very good move for North Carolina. So where do you think this might uh, take place and, and when, how long will it take to get it uh, into uh, full swing? Right. Well, we are getting ready to move into a new legislative year. Um, so I do think the House and the Senate will come back the end of January. And then between the end of January and hopefully June, um, you know, they'll be at work creating a, a budget for the state that eventually will go to the governor. So I'd like to think that in the first six months, we're going to have um, all of this ironed out and worked out to everyone's satisfaction and then we'll be moving forward. Um, if we think about the short session, um, as part of uh, Speaker Moore's um, work, uh, his bill did require uh, Secretary Kinsley and, and, and his team to actually do all the work now um, to get expansion ready, as well as do the work to prepare to draw down that additional healthcare access and stabilization program dollars. So the good news is, is that I know that our, our Secretary of Health and Human Services and, and their team have been working over the past six months to be ready for this. What are the uh, few remaining obstacles that have to be cleared up uh, before this thing can be passed? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we are continuing to, to look and understand, um, you know, what modernization needs to happen to uh, the certificate of need law. I know that that's important to uh, to Senator Berger and his leadership. Um, and, you know, we're, we're committed to, to looking for, you know, a solution that, you know, helps achieve the goals that they have. Um, but also, you know, protects community hospitals and ensures that, especially now during, you know, we're finishing up the most challenging fiscal year in the history of healthcare in the state. So, you know, I think just understanding the the um, 
the law of physics in regards to how it applies to changing a law? How do we do it that, again, meets the intent of leadership, but you know, we want to make sure that we're p- providing data and information so that good decisions can be made. But you know, we're committed, and I know our members are committed to working with Senate and House leadership to get this done. Well, you know, uh, the certificate of need is, uh, is something that has been around for a long time. And I'll tell you what we ought to do in the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. We probably ought to talk a little bit about what the certificate of need uh, is and how it uh, and why it has been a part of the way we have done health care in North Carolina. Uh, so maybe that's what we'll lead off with in the next segment. Our guest is uh, Steve Lawler. He's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Healthcare Association, which represents the North Carolina hospitals. And we will return uh, with uh, Steve and uh, talk about that certificate of need situation right after these messages. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Steve Lawler. He's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. And uh, healthcare, of course, is something that everyone in the state is concerned about. We we were talking about Medicaid expansion in the first segment. And part of the, the thing that still has to be worked out is... Uh, the concern that uh, some of the legislators have about the certificate of need situation. See, see, why don't you explain why we've had a certificate of needs, uh, 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 I guess, method of selecting who gets what and uh, what the benefits are and how it might be changed. Sure. Well, I mean, the certificate of need law in North Carolina has, has been on the books for a while. And, you know, much like in other states, it was created to, you know, do several things. So one, uh, it was created to help protect hospitals, um, which are required by law. So we're the only business that's required, you know, that that has a moral and legal obligation to take care of all. You know, we talked about hospitals being open 24-7, 365 to include the hospital and to include the holidays. 
So certificate of need laws, you know, one, were designed to help create a level playing field where hospitals who have this obligation to care for all, all the time, um, you know, have, you know, some protected high-end services um, and the CON law allows those services to be protected. They've typically been focused on um, services that are new high-end technology like MRIs. Um, they also uh, address facilities like ambulatory surgical centers or hospital beds. Um, and then, you know, other services such as, you know, home health, hospice, long-term care, you know, anything that had a, you know, a pretty high financial threshold were included in the CON laws. Um, the, the CON laws are, you know, kind of overseen and regulated um, by, you know, DHHS. So they do needs assessment based on activities within com communities. They look at, you know, how many patients are getting a specific service and they determine based on population growth and utilization, you know, whether or not there is a need to expand that service or, or not. So it's it's very different than, you know, the, the open market for grocery stores or convenience stores where somebody may decide to put one anywhere they want and roll the dice to see how they do financially. It's really based on, you know, population need and utilization for these high-end services. And then every year, the Department of Health and Human Services, um, in coordination with the the state healthcare coordinating committee um, send a plan to the governor that provides their best effort in regards to what are the services and um, you know high end technology that need to be added to the state in specific counties or in, in markets or or not. So in in many rural communities, the CON law has been. Um, you know, essentially their safety net to protect services from, um, you know, for-profit groups or um, investor-owned groups from coming in there and, you know, essentially competing for the small segment of their business that's profitable, which is primarily, you know, outpatient specialty kind of, of services. And for small community hospitals, that's 80% of their business. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think it, it, it has, it certainly has served its purpose. Do I believe that, uh, based on, um, North Carolina's continued growth and attractiveness to business and industry, um, and the fact that, you know, healthcare continues to be expensive, we need to figure out how to make it less. So there's opportunities to modernize that and, and we support that. And again, um, you know, we've said that uh, we're, we're happy in 2023 to work with uh, Senate House leadership to uh, to, to provide a, a rational approach to, to making that, uh, you know, that law better with the intent of creating, you know, good quality, high access care for North Carolinians. Well, you've got a couple of things always at play that... Uh sort of make this difficult. One is the fact that we've got 20, 22 counties in North Carolina that are just growing just as rapidly as uh, one can imagine and almost more than they can handle. And then you have 
also uh, new technologies that come down the road that uh, change the playing field somewhat also. But I, I guess I'm a little bit more concerned and, and we'd like to get your ideas about how uh, North Carolina faces this problem of the haves and have nots. You alluded a little bit to the fact that we've got some very small counties, uh, some counties that are uh, not uh, in that uh, 22 county area that uh, is growing that uh, they've got the same health care needs, but there's just not as many people. Right. And uh, well, that's a great that, I mean, that's a great puzzle for that we've been working on for years. And, and, you know, I've had the privilege of running the smallest hospital in the state, which is in Bertie County. And I've had the privilege of running one of the busiest teaching hospitals in the state in, in Greenville. So so first and foremost, I think Medicaid expansion, you know, helps um, uh, close the gap in regards to coverage as well as, um, you know, access problems for, for you know, individuals who live in, in small communities. Uh, certainly the work that we're trying to do to get the healthcare access and stabilization dollars from Medicaid to provide some additional support for, for hospitals in North Carolina uh, helps um, support them and stabilize, you know, a pretty fragile industry right now. I mean, even though in North Carolina, um, you know, healthcare makes up of close to 7% of the GDP. So that, that's, you know, $40 billion impact of the state's economy. Um, you know, right now, because of the increase in costs and labor and the fact that we're dealing with a tridemic, um, you know, the industry is pretty fragile. So, um, for rural hospitals, it's it's expansion, it's these HASP dollars, it's um, telehealth. So being able to utilize telehealth so people can stay close to home and have access to highly trained specialists. But you know that those telehealth visits need to be you know need to be paid fairly and with with parity. And we're continuing to work on that. I mean, certainly. Um, you know, finishing up uh, laying the the last mile of fiber in North Carolina is important because you know we believe as 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 healthcare changes and as hospitals and health systems uh, continue to innovate to become enablers of good care, um, partnering with people at home to best care for themselves and at least take advantage of some care management and healthcare coaching is going to be really important. Um, and then finally, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, workforce is a big deal for rural communities. Um, and, you know, I believe that North Carolina has all the raw material we need from a talent perspective. I do think that we need to make investments in small communities in um, helping young people navigate into you know, a healthcare career. And that comes from working with our community colleges, using our hospitals as clinical laboratories, and then working with our general assembly to make sure that there's additional funding and support um, to train more um, young men and women um, and attract them into the healthcare field. I think every business and industry in North Carolina is struggling with workforce. Um, but I can tell you that anytime we can train a young person and 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 help them navigate kind of an academic career and we keep them in their community when they graduate they're going to stay there and and it's it's even the same thing for the EC, ECU school of medicine where if 
you know, one, they only accept North Carolina young men and women. And if a medical student ends up training at ECU Health Medical Center, over 75% of those people stay in North Carolina, and many of them are going, going back home. So it's expansion, it's HASP, it's workforce, um, and, you know, it's leveraging, leveraging technology uh, so people can stay as close to home as possible for their care. The other thing that's sort of interesting, at least to me, is that at one point, the number of beds was very important. But because hospital stays are uh, actually because of improvements in health care, the average hospital stay is not what it was, say, maybe 10 years ago. So the number of beds per capita is probably the need for beds is probably going down somewhat. Well, I, I think we're trying to balance the fact that North Carolina is growing. And that's a good thing. And we, in order to attract, uh, you know, new business and industry and just people that want to make North Carolina they, their home, we have to have good health care. Um, so so what, two of the, the uh, pressures that we're seeing within healthcare are one, growth in population. That's a good thing. Um, and that population has a tendency to grow in urban areas. The second piece is, is the aging of the population. So we know when people get older, they use more resources. So even though intuitively you would think that with changes in technology, the number of beds would go down in urban areas and where people are, are, are moving to or people are aging, um, you know, the requirement for inpatient beds, especially those that can take care of complex people, may increase um, where community hospitals, their average length of stay you know, may end up uh, being anywhere from, uh, um, you know, 48 to, um, you know, 96 hours where they've got three and four day length of stay. And that may be their sweet spot. And they've got then a relationship um, through a transfer agreement or clinical affiliation or, you know, some kind of other relationship with a large referral center so they can coordinate the movement of patients between small town North Carolina and big sophisticated medical center in North Carolina. Um, and that kind of synergy and clinical integration becomes really important as we best utilize the resources we have available and make sure that people are getting the right care in the right location. You mentioned the aging population. That's also not quite uh, even I, I, I'm just guessing that the metropolitan areas, the average age is younger than, say, a, a retirement area like, say, Southern Pines or the coastal areas where people are retiring. And that also creates some problems. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when we look at, you know, North Carolina is not homogeneous. So we've got, you know, a few population centers where the, the average age is probably going down. You know, it could be Charlotte, the Triangle, the Triad. Um, you know, there are some destinations where, um, uh, I guess, you know, retirees that are, um, are healthier are going to, which is the coast and maybe, you know, Pinehurst and other areas. But, you know, we're also seeing small communities, um, you know, get older because young people are moving away. Um, and, you know, we're having, you know, challenges just, uh, you know, attracting business and industry in small towns. So it's always a win for North Carolina when we see a business and industry choose a small town because, you know, in many cases, that's a shot in the arm for that small town to bring in new talent and to bring in 
um, some, you know, younger people in that community that keep it, uh, you know, vibrant and, and moving forward. Our guest is Steve Lawler. He's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. And we, we want to talk about the professionals that work in the healthcare area and uh, the need that we might have for finding additional uh, help there. And we'll do that in the next segment when we return right after these messages. Olivia from Washington. <clears throat> Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna, from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha, from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Steve Lawler is our guest. He's the president and the CEO of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. We were going to talk about uh, health care as a career here and the need that we have in North Carolina for always increasing those who are working in this area. But first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Steve, because you've got such an interesting background. Like you said, you You've managed very small hospitals and large hospitals, uh, but you're a native of Greenville, North Carolina. And uh, so sort of tell us how you got interested in becoming uh, involved in the healthcare area. Well, that, so, uh, that's a great question. So, um, I mean, one, it was, it was a great place. Greenville was a great place to grow up. And I was blessed to have a mother who was a nurse and, uh, you know, who started her professional career as uh, a labor and delivery nurse and then ended up um, uh, joining the, Brody, the, the the ECU College of Nursing faculty and uh, had a full career there, had a father that was an English professor at ECU. So, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, service was really important. So I've got two brothers and a sister and all, you know, we're either in healthcare or teaching. Um, so, you know, something stuck when we watched our parents go to work every day. So, um, you know, I became interested in healthcare because of, you know, my mother's work as a nurse and both, uh, she, you know, her time at, at AHEC in Eastern North Carolina, as well as her time at uh, the College of Nursing and was exposed just to some pretty amazing people, um, some of which were involved in, 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 in being founders of the Brody School of Medicine. And it just became something that I, you know, uh, was interested in because it was a way to uh, 
to want to help people as a way to be active in a community. And, um, you know, one of the beautiful things about hospitals and health systems, they're like hundreds of different jobs. Um, so it's, it's like having your own city with lots of different career paths that you can take. Well, we want to talk a little bit about human resources, because as you alluded to, there's not anyone in North Carolina that I know of at the present time not looking to add to their uh, human resource uh, situation in their particular industry. But I suspect hospitals are having exactly the same problem, maybe even magnified. Do we have enough nurses? Do we have enough health care uh, providers, uh, people who are interested in working in the healthcare area? And if not, uh, how do we solve that problem? Yeah. So first, I would say that we, we need more healthcare professionals. So we need we need more nurses and doctors, but we also need, you know, every other uh, skill or craft position within a hospital. Um, you know, we're you know, we're seeing um, as a result of the pandemic, you know, experienced people that were close to retirement elect to retire. And, you know, the fact is, you know, being a bedside nurse is really hard work. Um, being a housekeeper in a hospital that is full of COVID patients and others is really hard work. Um, so, you know, right now in North Carolina, you know, we're experiencing the greatest workforce shortage ever. And, and we've used uh, temporary agencies and, um, and, and, you know, outside talent to help fill the gap. But, you know, we believe that, you know, we're on a 10 year journey to um, not only um, keep and retain the best nurses by being really thoughtful and creative and, and how do we make um, that hospital a great place to work? How do we you know, return some joy to taking care of people? Um, we're committed to making hospitals safer. Um, hospitals have a greater incidence of workplace violence of any other industry other than the prison industry. Um, so, you know, we're committed to making improvements there um, by establishing rules for people to follow and asking people to be respectful and making sure that, uh, you know, people are trained to, uh, you know, help de-escalate, um, you know, any kind of issue that we see with family, friends, or, or staff, because hospitals can be high-stress locations because you know people aren't flocking to hospitals like they're flocking to the mall. We're taking care of them at their most vulnerable and 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 in many cases for families, you know, stressed out times. I mean, we would love to think that everything is as as exciting as the birth of a new baby, but in many cases, it's just it's not. So making healthcare safer, um, and then finally, it's you know it's it's you know growing your own. Um, you know, hospitals are, are great places to, to start a career. We can take a young person coming out of high school, we can pay for their school and get them an associate's degree, and they can graduate as an associate uh, degree nurse. And they can make seventy to $80,000 right out of school, and they can become a role model for their community. So, um, you know, we believe it's going to take um, – 10 years to kind of rebuild our, our, our workforce. Um, you know, right now there's close to uh, 270,000 people that hospitals employ. And there's half a million jobs in North Carolina, including those 270 
that are somehow tied to healthcare. Um, and, you know, these are consultants, they're people who work in doctor's offices, um, you know, even real estate agents and business um, businesses rely on, on healthcare. So, you know, we're making help, making, working to make hospitals safer, making, you know, healthcare once again, a, you know, a, a destination career and a place where you can be um, professionally and personally fulfilled. And then we're, you know, we're, we're working to think differently about how we train people. If, if we can all get degrees online, um, then, you know, surely we can use, work with our boards of nursing and community college systems and others to think differently about where people are trained um, and then optimize, you know, our, you know, hospitals. We have 130 hospitals in North Carolina that can all be clinical training sites for, for programs. And then finally, we've got some of the best medical schools in the country that are training some That's of the cool. best very best physician. I was going to ask about that because I think one of the things that the people don't realize is the real difference between so-called teaching hospitals, hospitals that are associated with med schools and a regular hospital because there's a significant difference. So why don't you explain that and, and talk about the benefits of both? Sure. Uh, well, they are, I mean, they are different. And, you know, even though everyone has the same mission to care for folks, you know, teaching hospitals also have uh, two other missions. One is to uh, to train the next generation of clinical leaders. Um, and then the other is to do, you know, research. And some of that research is, you know, translational, where we're looking for the best way to take care of somebody. We're looking for, um, you know, the best way to apply um, a new drug or device that's in clinical trial and then some of it is just like breakthrough research. I mean, right here in North Carolina, you know, we had people that were developing the, the COVID vaccine. Um, so teaching hospitals have that, 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 that you know, um, that three-legged stool mission of clinical care, teaching, and, and research. So the big difference is, is that when, when I was running the hospital in Greenville, I mean, on any day I had, I had 1,500 students in the hospital. So the hospital was their, their, their clinical classroom where they would train how to be doctors or nurses or um, radiology techs or pharmacists. Um, and what that does is that requires you to attract the best and smartest folks to be their teachers. You'd like to think that that's the case. Um, and, you know, it, it also um, expands your your footprint because you need a bigger clinical footprint to accommodate um, those learners. It, it it also slows you down a bit um, because it takes time to teach and it takes resources to teach. And in many cases, those you know that time and those resources you know aren't reimbursed. They're just built into you know operationally how how you do things. Um, and again, in North Carolina, we have some of the best teaching hospitals in the country. And that that's an advantage for non-teaching hospitals because, you know, we have some of those medical students and residents that are doing clinical rotations at those small community hospitals. Or that big teaching hospital then becomes uh, a lifeline for a physician that may be in a small community that has a really complicated or patient or a patient that's in crisis they can pick up the phone and get nationally expert advice 
from somebody here in North Carolina. And if that patient needs additional help, then, you know, they're always going to say, send us your patient, we'll care for them, and then we'll send them back um, with uh, follow-up instructions so that they can um, remain in their community and have a better life. But in North Carolina, we train thousands of physicians a year um, and tens of thousands of, of nurses every year. Um, and when people, you know, need, you know, high-end care, I mean, they're choosing some of our nationally acclaimed uh, programs. One of the things that I'm really proud of in North Carolina is in 2022, LeapFrog, which is a national organization that rates quality and patient safety, and it really started from business and industry demanding better outcomes. Uh, the LeapFrog organization ranked North Carolina number one in, in quality and patient safety, and a lot of that work is led by you know, our teaching hospitals. That's interesting. Mental health is still a, a huge problem in North Carolina. Talk about that a little bit. Boy, I tell you, if there's, if there's, you know, I mean, there's a few things that we need to take on in next year's legislative session. We and we talked about some of those: Medicaid expansion, the healthcare access and stabilization program, workforce. I would say top five is uh, is doing work to to take a critical look at how we provide care and treatment and support for people, our neighbors, our friends, people in our community that are struggling with a mental health crisis or struggling with um, an addiction problem. And it, you know, it is going to take um, everyone, you know, from our elected officials to, you know, individuals that are running um, solo practices for social work or, or psychology. It's going to take everyone working together to help us, um, you know, reimagine a new and different system. I mean, today in, in every emergency department in the state, 20% of the people that are sitting in emergency departments are people with behavioral health diagnoses that are waiting for placement, safe placement, um, outside the hospital when they're discharged. And it's tragic to think that we've got, you know, adolescents that, that are, you know, in emergency rooms for weeks at a time because there's no place for them to go. So, I mean, I think this is, you know, one of the top five things that we should be taking on this year. Um, it's complex. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, designing a system that focuses on whole person care, not thinking that, you know, people with behavioral health issues um, should be put into a different box. And, you know, we need to worry about them. We, you know, we need a whole person approach that has comprehensive support as well as um, a system and a process so people can move through the system to get what they need when they need it. And, you know, sitting in the emergency department for days and weeks at a time, um, we can do better than that. And, and our neighbors and friends in North Carolina deserve better. So I, I would say that's one of the top five things that we need to tackle this year. You know, we've sent uh, a letter two years ago to the governor and uh, Senate and House leadership saying we're ready to roll up our sleeves. Um, let's work together to to uh, to rethink and reimagine how our mental health system is um, is programmed and how it's financially supported. And, 
you know, this is just about taking better care of people. Well, I think, uh, as you said, North Carolina rep, uh, knows and rep, and uh, recognizes that mental health is probably our biggest, uh, if we have a shortcoming, uh, it's one of our biggest shortcoming areas. And, and I'm glad to hear that the hospitals are very concerned about solving this problem. Our guest is Steve Lawler, and we'll be back with the final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers. He's the president of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. We'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Steve Lawler. He's the president of the North Carolina Healthcare Association, which represents the 130 hospitals across North Carolina that... Uh, Currently employ some 270,000 healthcare workers. That's a little of the background. Uh, we remind you that this program comes in two forms. A number of our stations carry the full hour broadcast. Others carry a half hour broadcast. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half hour broadcast, if you'd like to hear the two segments that you missed, and they were very informative in this particular case, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments. Or if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast again or share it with a friend, you can do the same thing, carolinanewsmakers.com. As I said, our guest is Steve Lawler. And uh, Steve, I guess one of the overriding uh, concerns we all have uh, about health care in, in North Carolina and across the world and across the state and across the nation is the continuing cost of health care. It's a major concern. Everyone's concerned about it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what some of the solutions might be to controlling the cost of health care and how can we bring down the cost of providing health care to our citizens? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I would agree. And I would say that, uh, you know, everyone who works in the healthcare space would say, you know, health care is, uh, is, is too expensive. And, um, and but I would say that there some really interesting things that are being done in hospitals and health systems and physician practices throughout the state 
to help focus on uh, reducing the cost of care. And, you know, reducing the cost of care in healthcare is, is, is not a, as simple as changing the sticker price, uh, much like, you know, an auto dealer would do or, or a retailer would do if they were putting something on sale. Um, the real savings to healthcare are the result of, of, of the provider community, hospitals and physicians, you know, working with patients and communities to help them be um, healthier. I mean, the fact is, is that 20% of our population are using 80% of the resources. And these are good people, um, but they have chronic disease and their health plan typically does not have a uh, an offering as part of that that connects them with a care manager or a coach or connects them with, uh, um, you know, some kind of value-based uh care platform that helps them become healthier. And we know when when we're when we help somebody that has a chronic condition manage their chronic condition, so somebody with kidney disease or renal disease, um, if we can help them manage that rather than, you know, them having renal failure and then ending up in the hospital, um, they're going to be healthier and it's going to cost less. If we have somebody who is a diabetic in North Carolina, we've got, you know, high incidence of diabetes. We have high incidence of stroke. If, if we can help people manage that and prevent that, that catastrophic hospitalization later on, that's going to reduce the cost of care. So it's really this partnership, I think, between patients and their providers and their hospital looking for ways to invest in, in new and innovative ways to, to reduce the cost of care. You know, we target um, through data and analytics, you know, we look at people who uh, who are coming to the emergency department frequently and we're trying to intervene with them and help them help figure out why. Um, for patients that don't have access to meds because they're expensive, we're providing free meds. In many communities, um, hospitals and health systems are writing prescriptions for food because we know, we know that food insecurity impacts health. And when somebody is not getting what they need, they, they end up going back to the hospital, which increases the cost of care. I think the other piece that, you know, sometimes we don't talk a lot about is just, um, you know, healthcare literacy. It's helping people understand their health plan. So right now, the, the greatest source of medical debt are people that have insurance. And these are people whose health plans have high deductible plans. Um, and um, when your deductible is seven or $10,000, and that's the plan that you have and you're offered and you don't understand it, um, then you know, many times when you go to the hospital or go to a physician's office and you're getting these bills, um, you know, that contributes to, you know, people's perception of the cost of care because it impacts, you know, their ability to, to pay their bills. So I think, you know, I think, you know, healthcare literacy, especially understanding your health plan, um, you know, super important. But, you know, I, I'm encouraged by the work that's taking place at our hospitals and health systems. If we look at some of the pilot programs that they've done with CMS, for Medicare patients by providing care management and infrastructure support, 
you know, we've saved the federal government, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and we can apply that same kind of learning and approach um, to everyone. And I think it's important that, uh, you know, that, that physicians and hospitals are incented in a way that, you know, there's kind of a shared savings approach where, you know, when, when we're able to generate, you know, savings for an employer or a health plan, let's reinvest in physicians and hospitals so they can reinvest in those programs that make people healthier and that drive down the cost of care. We are all concerned about the cost of prescription drugs, and that's a topic we hear a lot about. What progress is being made in bringing down the cost of prescription drugs? Right. Well, that's a that's a great question. I wish I wish we had more influence in that space. Um, I mean, for hospitals and health systems, you know, the uh, the increase in expenses and cost over the past year and a half are, are at thirty percent. So, and unlike other businesses, you know, hospitals, you know, don't pass on those cost increases to to patients. But a big a big portion of that. 30% are just increases in drug costs. So one of the things that hospitals are doing is, you know, they're building uh, through um, best practice and AI, um, they're building formularies that are, um, are based on generic drugs. So, um, you know, within their electronic medical record, you know, if a physician needs to prescribe a drug for a patient and there's a generic drug available, which is going to be a lower cost drug, um, that's what they're going to prescribe um, unless because of that patient's condition, they need something that's not, you know, that's that's brand that's not generic. So hospitals are working to, to make, you know, healthcare more affordable in that space by looking to choose, choose gen, generic drugs when, when possible. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting that takes place in hospitals every day is a pharmacist in many cases is making rounds with a doctor to look at what that patient is on to make sure that their, you know, that their medications are the right medications. And in many cases, what we see are, you know, we can reduce the number of medications that a patient are on just by having that kind of uh, team-based approach to, to care. Um, you know, I do think that, uh, um, you know, we continue to work with our elected officials, especially those in, in Washington, um, you know, to come up with some some guidelines and principles that can be followed to ensure that uh, that you know that prescription drugs are you know are not uh, um, you know putting patients in in a difficult decision where they have to decide whether or not they're going to get this expensive drug or buy food for the family. That's a well, that's a tough tough choice to make. So some of it is working with our elected officials in Washington to. Uh, to you know, hold folks accountable, um, ensure that there's a you know the kind of investment in research and development that pharmaceutical companies need to make to to find new medication to help uh, manage or, or or cure illness, um, but do it in a way that's responsible, so um, so that individuals and uh, those that are caring for patients um, you know have access to those medications at a reasonable price. We see a lot of ads, especially on television, about drugs, and patients see these ads and go in and ask their doctors if they should not be on that medicine. 
uh, it would seem to me that this is actually putting the doctor in a bad situation because he feels like, well, gee, you know, the patient's asking for it. Uh, maybe I should prescribe it. Is that a problem? Oh, I would say so. I mean, I think, you know, between, uh, you know, advertisement on TV and going on, you know, the Internet and, you know, Googling what's going to make me more beautiful or grow hair in my case, um, it, you know, it, it is an issue because patients do show up, you know, having searched the Internet in regards to what they believe is wrong with them or they've seen, you know, the latest advertisement on TV where, you know, people with, uh, you know, chronic illness or terrible diseases such as cancer seem to be doing just well. So it does create um, some friction and tension um, at that point of care. Um, I do think that, you know, the, the, you know, the very best physicians and, and, you know, we're blessed to have the very best physicians in the country are the ones that are taking time to explain, let's, you know, let's develop a, a care plan that works best for you. Um, and it just takes an investment in time. And, uh, and, and again, it, it, it is problematic when people show up, they've already di diagnosed themselves based on their Google search. They've already got the drug that they like based on, you know, the happiest people at the family picnic, and they're asking for it when they show up. It just takes time and it takes, um, well, it takes relationships. And one of the things that just blows me away year over year, you know, the careers and the professionals that are most trusted year over year, in the top five are always nurses and doctors year over year. So um, trust your doctor. I mean, they they have your best interest at heart. Very quickly, we've got about uh, less than a minute. Uh, how does telemedicine fit into perhaps reducing the cost of healthcare? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, several ways. One, for rural communities, tele telemedicine gives them access to highly skilled uh, specialty trained physicians that they may not have otherwise. So rather than sending that patient from that community, putting them in a car and, you know, that's an expense to families, it's gas, it's time away from work. We can deliver state-of-the-art care virtually. Um, the second piece is I think generationally, you know, when you think about what people are doing with, with this, um, with their cell phone, it, it requires, you know, it, it creates access to care in an appropriate way through some app-based uh, um, interaction or Zoom-like uh, um, platform where people can get basic care for you know, basic um, acute illness such as sinus infections or colds or flus. You know, people can get diagnosed relatively quickly and it's convenient. So uh, I'm excited about what's gonna come out of uh, uh, the next several years in that space. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. Steve Lawler, president of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Program is produced by Jason Kong, and we'll be back again next week, same time, same station, with another guest. So until next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.